You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we've been doing a series called Salt and Light. It's about the gospel and how it changes everything. And, um, and really, both the Bible and probably your experience in life is teaching you that uh, your life, like your presence, has a flavor to it. Have you ever had a classroom before where like one of the kids was gone, you know, the loud kid, the rambunctious one, and it changes the whole room? Just like the absence of that kid changes the whole entire room. And even if you're the quiet kid, even if you're the quiet person in the family, uh, you don't know this, that you change the room because you're never in the room that you're not in. You know what I'm talking about? But each of us, we, we, we change the flavor of the room. We change it by our lives. And so we've been going through and just kind of talking about different topics. A big one right now for our country and even for our church is, is just race. And how do, we, how do we think about race differently? Do we taste like Jesus? Do we smell like Jesus when it is that we are, are speaking with and we're engaging with and thinking about people that are different from us? We talked about the gospel and marriage. And I just want to tell you that, man, if you, if you love your spouse in Jesus' name, if you um, act as the, as the biggest confessing sinner in the marriage and you look to serve the most in your marriage, you are preaching the gospel. Thank you for preaching the gospel. We talked about um, the gospel in singleness and necessarily the gospel is preaching to us that uh, he has made us whole, um, not our marriage, not our spouse. And so if we are living with a saltiness in our singleness, we're preaching the gospel. And that is an incredible thing. So today we're here to talk about the gospel and work, um, how it is that we can go out of our way uh, to take risks, to take faith, um, to, to take part in the gospel by doing uh, good works. Our icebreaker question today, Bob, is, are you ready? And everybody can kind of answer, maybe murmur to the person beside you, your neighbor. Um, if you could have a superpower, uh, what would it be? Let Bob answer, and then you can tell your neighbor next to you. What would your superpower be and why? Well, hands down, it would be flying, right? Yeah, because you could get anywhere. Right, but it would have to have the option of ultrasonic and outer space as well. Fair, fair. Right? Yeah. I wouldn't I mean, want to just fly like 25 miles an hour. Yeah. This is a guy who, good. like, because if you, if you had a genie, you'd have to be very specific, you know? Like, you could be like, I want to fly, and then you would get, like, little dove wings, and that would be right. weird. Yeah. So, ultrasonic, super speed. Uh, turn to your neighbor next to you really quickly as I put on my iPad password here. What superpower would you choose, and why? Tell your neighbor right next to you. So I always... Well, uh, my, my wife's was invisible, by the way. Michelle's... I mean... I think it's so that she could spy on people. Yeah, I, I always do feel like I'm, I'm a little skeptical of people that say they want to be invisible. I'm like, for what reason? That's kind of sketchy, right? For what purpose would you do that other than to freak people out? <laughs> I have always said uh, I would love to be able to have the power to sleep for 45 minutes a night, uh, kind of sleep for as long as my iPhone charges and then be totally... Uh, ready for the day. That'd be incredible. I get so much more done and I would just be able to hang out. I guess it speaks a lot for, for busyness. I don't know what you would say, whether it's invisible or be able to fly or be able to read people's minds. I think that would be pretty awful, to be honest. Uh, so be careful what, what you wish for. I remember, uh, Bob, um, I don't know if you had any uh, fantasy. What, what's your favorite superhero, by the way? Was it Superman? Was that what you would say? Um, yeah, because he could fly and was strong. He could kind of do anything. Right, yeah, yeah, he was kind of the trump card. Um, and he had x-ray vision, which again is kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, we, all, we all have, um, in some degree, uh, uh, an infatuation with superheroes. I think Avengers and its uh, blockbuster uh, statistics will tell us that um, it's a very popular idea and ideal to be a superhero. Um, the, the ability to kind of uh, transcend our possibilities in the realm of reality and, uh, and then use that for good to help the weak, to help the needy, to do something good. Uh, nobody grows up wanting to be the dragon whenever you play uh, Dungeons and Dragons, or whenever you play um, that is. Knights and yeah, whenever you play Knights and Dragons or whatever, nobody wants to be Scar and the Lion King. You know, nobody wants to be the the bad guy. When we grow up, we all want to be the good guy. Um, and so, when we think it is, when we think about good works, when we think about the nature of good works, that uh, Matthew five, and this is this is kind of the root verse today. It says this: Matthew five verse sixteen, and we're going to read the larger passage as well. It says in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, uh, we need to be aware um, that it's not unique to the Bible or to the gospel uh, that people want to do good works. Um, as a matter of fact, I was at CarMax the other day getting our first minivan since I'm thoroughly, you know, suburbanite now, 
And uh, there's a picture in the back of CarMax that shows uh, CarMax employees helping to build playgrounds, which is fantastic, down there in Lawrence Road. Um, the company policy builds playgrounds. It, uh, I think it mentors people. I think it does lots of different like, good works in the community. I looked up also, you know, Apple has given, I don't know, whatever, umpteen million dollars towards you know, uh, the subject that we talked about last week, you know, racial justice. Uh, big companies are expected these days, if not by you know, the government because of tax breaks, but also because of PR and uh, brand uh, recognition to do good works. It's not unique to the Christian church to do good things. Uh, I think we all grow up wanting to be superheroes and to do good things. Uh, but Jesus, I think, is necessarily saying something different um, about good works. Uh, so, Bob, when you think about the passage that uh, is on the screen right there, the one that I read earlier, when it talks about the, the role of the church and, um, and, doing, and putting forth the gospel with works, um, what do you think uh, stands out to you as important? Why do you think it is that good works or Jesus? Why do you think Jesus would talk about a topic like that and say, hey, look, uh, if there is an unbelieving society that cannot see or understand the gospel, then one of the ways that we convey the gospel to people is through good works. What do you think um, Jesus is, is speaking about when he says those words? Well, I think we all know... Um Jesus is one of his one of his messages was to to good to do good works and to, to be kind to others and and that they that the world would know uh, that you're his by the by the things you do right mm-hmm. like um, so it's hard for, for for people to I think believe in something that that we don't live out mm-hmm. if that makes sense uh, we can say that uh, we have faith, but I think the world wants to see that we actually have some substance uh, to what we say. Yeah. And I think that society as a whole knows the message of Christianity. Mm. If they don't know anything about Christianity, they know that the message of Christianity is to do good for others. Mm. I mean, that's the, that's the bottom line is, is to do good for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if they don't under, fully understand uh, salvation or any of that aspects, they understand that Christians... Should at least be good people. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I think the world sees us as. So I think it's important for us to, to show them that. And the best way to show them that is by doing that. Mm. Right? Yeah, I think the thing that sticks out to me about works, you know, Jesus would do a lot of, um, a lot of works. You know, I looked it up, the definition of works is effort with, with a purpose. And, um, and Jesus, uh, uh, the nature of the gospel is that Jesus went out of his way to do works that would communicate the love of the Father to people that didn't understand them. And uh, I think there is something about works. Like, it's one thing to stay, you know, uh, happily married. It's one thing to love your children well, you know, and pay your taxes to do the right thing. It's one thing, as we spoke about earlier, you know, to walk through um, single, uh, singleness or to uh, hold a job, etc. But I think the, the word work necessarily means you're not just walking in the way of Jesus, but you're going out of your way to go reach right. people. And right. I think that's essentially, you know, what the gospel is inferring is that God didn't wait for us to get to him. He went out of his way to get to us. And works, works are uh, a, not just a communication of the gospel, but to a, a, a deaf or dying world, a translation of who God is. Like if you can't understand who God is, Jesus would say, then watch me heal this blind man. And in some way you'll see this thing and you'll recognize that God was here. And so today, one of the things I know, we went to Thai restaurant. Whenever me and Bob need to get work done, we always go to the Thai restaurant. There will restaurant. be basil rolls. Yeah, there will be basil rolls involved. If, at least you need to know Bob because uh, he'll take you to the right place and the right menu. Um, but I, I did some thinking, Bob, since we last talked, and we're going to talk through this outline a little bit. But um, some things that came to mind about the difference between good works, benevolent works, you know, like Apple giving however many millions of dollars or, or Nike or... Or, or, or even NBA basketball, I recently heard, is losing a lot of money right now because they're cutting ties with China based on political things. I mean, it, like, there's a social consciousness that people should do the right thing, either because it gets them good reputation or it avoids them criticism. Uh, there is mechanisms in our society that promote good works. So in, in other words, good works on their own or doing good things are not necessarily uh, what it is that Jesus is speaking about in this passage this morning. This, these are a couple of things that help me navigate the difference between what I would call gospel work versus good work. Um, a gospel work, um, as me and Bob were speaking at lunch the other day, uh, is something that flows from love. It's not for love. And you'll taste the difference. 
This is why salt and light matters, because when a good work comes your way, a benevolent gift or a kind action, you can taste the flavor of it. It'll taste differently if it's done in Jesus' name. And, and one of the things that should taste different in the ingredient of a gospel work versus a good work is that it's not to get love from you, but it's to respond to the love of the Father. There's, there's somewhere in the seams of that gift, of that action, that, that smells like the smile of the Father, that seems, that seems like it's been motivated by moving from love as opposed to trying to go and get love. Number two, um, you'll see in the passage that we'll read, and it's a well-read passage, but I think maybe a clear way to, um, to think almost in a childlike way, some of this language you'll hear, is to think about uh, good works in terms of look at me versus look at him. And that's why I think there's a, a, a conversation about almost left and right hand coordination and juggling because it is difficult because we want credit and, and others want credit. And the world wants to explain things away without God being a picture. But somehow gospel work, salt and light work should taste different from normal benevolence because it should, it should in its emphasis be saying, look at him, not look at me. This is why Jesus said, don't tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know. Keep it a secret. Because I, this, this, this is a, ultimately an operation that is not just between me and you, but it's between me and him. And so lastly, one of the things that we should register with a gospel work when it's given to us or when we do that gospel work, whether it's to feed the poor, or care for somebody, or give a word of encouragement, is that um, we know that we are, we are probably not doing a pure gospel work if in any way there is a, a need or a maneuvering for credit if there's any way or maneuvering for success, meaning I only do the work if it's successful or if it's fruitful or if it works, um, or if there's strings attached, meaning conditions uh, are uh, the antithesis, really, of what a gospel work would be. So those were the three things that came to mind, and I would love to hear your thoughts on that, Mr. Bob, but um, a gospel work that flows from the love of God and from the acceptance and the approval of God rather than to go and get it. Uh, a gospel work is something that says, look at him in its posture, not look at me. And lastly, the gospel work, uh, is given, and it is, it is irregardless of credit, strings, or control, uh, because this is ultimately between me and him, and not between you and me in the first place. Right, and that really is a hard question, is, is what is the difference, right, between um, an atheist doing good things, because we know atheists do good things, right, and, and, Christ, and Christians doing good things. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a question that we have to, I think, ask ourselves, Mm. is what really is the difference there? Because we want to say there's a difference, right? There has to be a difference. Mm. And what is that difference? What, what, is, what is the difference between the church doing something and CarMax doing something? Mm. I love that CarMax is doing something, but you can't help but to think that maybe it might be a little bit um, promoting, mm. right, mm. in that way. So I guess inside each and every one of us, we have to ask, you know, what is our motive? And, and what, what is the difference between an atheist working in a soup kitchen and a Christian working in a soup kitchen? Mm. And that's not a really, that's not an easy question to answer, really. Yeah. Uh, so it's in the run of lots of conversations that Jesus has on the Sermon on the Mount, whether it be about anger or lust or, uh, you know, marriage and divorce and, and other things. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, gets to the heart and the motive, really, underneath um, our lives as salt and light and really supposes that it's really from the heart where the saltiness takes its root and where the light begins to shine the brightest. And this is the way that, that Jesus talks about communicating the gospel without words, not only communicating it, but translating it in a way through good works. He says in Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I was thinking about this uh, this week and like um, lots of things, can get repurposed, like uh, we have some dead flowers that are sitting you know, on our counter, and so even though they're not alive, they still get reused and repurposed. Uh, they still have a use, even though they're, they're dead and dried up. You know, computers, when they break down, you could reuse and repurpose, and cars, if they break down, you could sell them for their parts. But what the scripture is telling us is that, um, that a Christian without saltiness has lost their purpose. We should be in heaven. Uh, we should be um, you know, with the Father, if we are not in some way making our agenda to be different down here in everything that we do, including uh, what we do with our kind impulses or the ways that we would want to give to people. Um, and so it says that you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds 
and glorify uh, your Father in heaven. Okay, so one, um, one significant um, observation that I see in this passage as it pertains to kind of you know, this conversation about gospel works and how we communicate the language of the gospel in, in nonverbal ways. Um, to, to, talk about the, the, to, to talk about the church, and it's really not when it says you, it really means y'all. It's kind of the southern pejorative kind of way that they would talk about this, not just you in the direct way, but y'all in the corporate way. Um, we uh, are, are, according to this passage, uh, supposed to be, as a church, really nosy people. You know, like, you know how when somebody is nosy and they're like getting up in your business and you're kind of like, do you not have anything better to do than like be up in my business? You know, uh, when we think about the, the identity factor of the way Jesus is going to explain the New Testament church to be a city on a hill, um, not hidden, and not just the light of the church or the light of the four walls, but to be the light of the city, necessarily when we cross people's paths and we are dancing on the idea of should I be involved or less involved? Should I err on being involved or disinvolved, uninvolved? We should err on being involved. True. You know, um, so, so I, I take it this way. It's like, I think we're taught, you know, like, we don't want to judge. We don't want to get up in people's business. We don't want to, like, you know, get involved in some ways in other people's problems. Um, there are so many voiceless, hurting, lonely people that if we were to follow the way of the world to operate in non-involvement, they're the ones that get run over. Right, and, and that kind of segues into what we talked about as far as that neutral zone, right? Yeah. Like, so people think that if they're not doing bad, that makes them good. Well, it just means they're not doing bad, right? Mm. It doesn't, it, not the absence of doing mm. bad things doesn't make you a good person. It makes you pretty much neutral. Yes. So I think there's three places we can stay. We can either stay in that neutral zone where I think, and then you have the, the bad zone, and then you have the do-good zone, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of times Christianity and Christians, I know for myself, maybe nobody else, but I spent most of my Christian walk drifting from the neutral zone to the bad zone, mm. and then back again, right? Mm. You go to the bad zone, you come back to neutral. You go to the bad zone, you come back to neutral. So then the goal then becomes, how long can I stay in neutral, right? right? So instead of, instead of, well, let's go to the good. Yeah. Let's start doing good. So Christianity then... I became okay with myself as a neutral person. Yeah. And then the goal was, well, don't go to the bad so often or don't stay there for very long, right? Mm. That, that becomes the goal. And the goal is not, that's not the goal. The goal is to, to transition from neutral to doing good works, mm. right? See how long you can stay in this side. Mm. So I think a lot of times we spend a lot of time in, in neutral, Mm. If that makes sense, I completely agree. I mean, um, you know, Kate, the idea here that I was thinking about in terms of this first run of the passage is like, how many, you know, like wives do you guys know, or maybe have you met that um, they're they're just wishing and hoping that somebody would um, reach out to their husband or ask them a question. Right. You know, I, I've been in small groups before, and you've been in small groups. It takes one question. It would take one question. And it would completely change the course of the conversation, maybe even change the course of the person's day, month, year, or life. Like, it would take one question. And meanwhile, we dance on the neutral zone. Stay in the lines. Don't mess up. Don't, make, don't take, take risks. But necessarily, gospel works. Like, to do good deeds, the definition of deeds and work is, to, is effort. It is risk. It is faith. It is potentially, you know, making a mistake. You know, doing, doing something um, that needs needs some learning, needs some development. Or, needs some, or getting taken advantage of. Absolutely, a right. risk to, to Nobody to wants that. And so, so I, I guess just before reading on to the second half of this passage here in Matthew 6, which gives us a good contrast, um, who is it that you need to be nosy with? You just need to ask the question. It's always awkward to ask a guy how they're doing on the computer. It is. But we all need to be asked that question. And we all need to be asked the question about um, how our spiritual life is doing but yet we don't ask it because of politeness, because of staying politically correct. Um, we need to ask difficult questions, even going back to last week as we talked about race. Somebody has to start the conversation, and to be the light of the world, not just the light of the church, necessarily means you have to get out of your comfort zone and reach. Get, a, get out of neutral. Get out of neutral. So uh, here's, here's Matthew 6, and it creates some of the tension of the conversation. I think we can talk through this too, Mr. Bob. But it says, uh, Matthew 6, verse 1, it says, But be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
And so you have a bit of a juxtaposition, whereas in Matthew 5, it says, don't practice your deeds in front of people. And then in Matthew 6, or Matthew 5, it says, do practice your deeds in front of people. And in Matthew 6, it says, don't. So we have to read on to kind of understand what he means by that. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. And there it is in parallel there between verses 1 and 2. The key word that I think differentiates between chapter 5 and chapter 6 is the two. Why did you do it? To be glorified. To have attention. To justify yourself. To vindicate yourself. To prove that you have purpose, that you're a superhero. And he's saying, don't do your good works to do that. And out of that place, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. Such a difficult tension there, you know, um, to, to execute something on somebody else's behalf without taking credit for it, without puffing up my ego, without becoming proud and realizing I'm better than somebody else, without letting it slide into my approval conversation with the Lord. If I do this, maybe I'll be accepted. Maybe it'll meet up with my identity to be a good worker and a good Christian servant. I've always stayed in line and made my parents proud. It's difficult to, almost more difficult than the action is to, to reflect and to curate what goes on in my heart as I do these things. But it says, so that giving may be done in secret which most of, of Jesus' works were being done in a very small um, venue. Then the Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And, that, and I think that has to do with, with who, who are you giving, who, who gets the glory, right? Like, mm. like if, if I tell people I'm doing this, then I'm letting them know, I'm giving them, I'm letting them in on what I'm doing mm. instead of just keeping it between me and the father, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I had a guy, um, uh, and he would share this up on the stage as, as well. He, it was part of his testimony that he, that he shared. And um, at one point, deeper into their marriage, uh, they got into this conflict, and, and the wife was able to express some hurt to him that they had in their marriage for a long time. And the, the phrase that she used that struck him and really stopped him in his tracks was, um, sweetie, your touching feels like taking to me. This was the phrase that she used. And, and I think it struck him because he, I think she knew, he knew what she, she meant. Um, uh, sometimes our gifts aren't really gifts they're taking because they have these strings and expectations. And we've, we've tasted different kinds of works. We've seen different kinds of works and you can, you can, you can taste the substance of it, the texture. So sometimes our giving seems like taking. Is that what you said? Sometimes it feels like um, we can sense the, the agenda right. and there's an insecurity. I don't know if you've ever received a gift from an insecure person. It's almost impossible for an insecure person to do a gospel work because necessarily their insecurity will always bleed and leak onto what they're giving. And so when they give you the present on the birthday, you feel, you know, the tension in the room of how are you going to react because they're completely insecure. And there's no way that they can give something away that they don't have because they don't have generosity in their heart, and they don't have the gospel in their heart, and they don't have love in their heart. So everything that they're doing, every work they do, it doesn't matter how hard they're trying or how far across the rock, and you know, the, the, the tracks they're going, they're so desperately in need of approval and, and love that all they can do is take, even in their giving. And so I, I took a couple notes. I mean, um, you know, it's like the husband doing the right thing and bringing the flowers, you know, to stay out of the doghouse. You know what I mean? Like, like it's a good work, but where is it coming from? Um, you know, the person uh, who has, you know, this person, and maybe they're good people too, you know, but they have the little thank you notes and they go to Target and, they, and, and they, they have these Mondays, like thank you card Mondays, and they send them all out through the mail and so forth. But there's a sense there that, like, it's about the person that's giving the thank you note and making sure that they do thank you notes on Monday rather than, like, where the person is, is actually at. And maybe been to a party before and the host... Um, in all their well-meaning, has spent a lot of money in planning that goes into the party, but there's such a tension that the party's got to go just right that it's like nobody's partying because this is just like a complete, like, tense, you know, it's about the host rather than the hospitality. Um, you can feel when something is given, even out of just good karma and good energy, and I just believe in the good world, and we're all good people, and we're all good vibes, and I'm just good vibes only, and it's a good thing, but it's not Jesus, and you can taste the difference, right? You can taste the difference between a benevolent act that's been done at CarMax and a benevolent act that's been done in Jesus' name because there's someone that loves me, that has his eyes on me, that has his eyes on you, that has thought of you and has put me in this place that I can give a gospel work to you. That tastes different, doesn't it? But it's the same money, and it's the same bank account, and it's the same questions, and it's the same crossing the street. It's the same care and charity, but it's done with a different purpose. It's done with the Father's smile 
And that's what I see in the passage, Bob. I'd love to hear what you think when it says, you know, your reward is, is from your Father in heaven. There's a sense that it's really not about you and them. It's about you and him is, is what yeah. I see Jesus saying, is that it was never about them. It was never if they accepted it, if it worked, if it was fruitful. It never really was about if it was even communicated clearly. It was that I moved in obedience to what the Father did. I'm doing what Jesus says when he says to do it the way he says to do it. And in that, I have my reward, regardless of what happens, regardless of how the chips fall. Right, and, and, and off of what he said, people can sniff, sniff you out, right? Like, they know. They know, they know your motives. They know, they, they, I mean, you can, any, most people can, can smell that if, if, you, if you're selfish in your motives. Particularly jaded people. I mean, this is, what the, this is what the Bible's saying. It's like the gospel in places that it will not be believed because of hard-heartedness, it will not be, make its way by words, can make its way by works. What an incredible passage of Scripture to tell us that in a world that we feel is post-Christian, right, in a place that is hard-hearted and, and, and isn't interested in the gospel message. It's saying necessarily and then Ephesians 2 says the work that's been completed on the cross has actually afforded you and anointed and ordained works for you to do because you are God's workmanship. And he's put in your path work that will literally open up um, gospel pathways in places that, are, that couldn't be reached by words. And so I think you're exactly right. I think that's part of the, the, the era that we live in is people can smell that. And, and, and they're waiting to smell and taste that gospel pure gospel work as opposed to something less than. Right, and I think that's the reason why I think a lot of us, we won't admit it, I think they're doing, uh, maybe it's a good thing, but the, the guys with the micro megaphones yeah. on the corners just yelling at people. Oh, mad people. Right, like they're the mad angry. people. Like they're doing what the Bible said to do, right? Yeah. I mean, they are standing there proclaiming the good news, but yeah. at the same time, it's exactly like you just said. It's like there's no love there, Yeah. and people smell that. They're like, uh, they don't want to have anything what to do What does it with say, that. like that creation groans that the sons and daughters would rise in identity? The creation knows when it tastes the real thing. And even and unbelievers know when it tastes the real thing. And, and it says there's p- places and promises in the Bible that says, like, people will go out of their way to try and hate Christianity and see your good works and feel like they can't. Man, what an incredible invitation is saying, like, we are, we, we are not um, incapable, incapacitated in, in an era, in a season, even like this. If we would, if we would follow the smile of the Father, we would follow his, his, his pleasure, and we would give generously the way that he gave us. There is such, I think, an adventure before us and such good work to be done um, in Jesus' name. So here's the tension. Here's where we need to talk. Um, there's almost two sides of the fence here. There is doing works without grace, a kind of work that doesn't have grace in it, a kind of work that just exhausts church people. You just know church people that are just exhausted? Are you a church person that's exhausted? And there's an identity, a Martha thing that, that seeps in of like, this is who I am, you know? It's not just what I do. It's like, I am only good if I'm a good work. And if I'm not a good work, then I'm not really, you know, a Christian. And, and so there's, there is a work that is not gospel because in some ways it is trying to get approval rather than working from the, the, the strong, confident um, anchor of the gospel, and it's, so it's this, it's this chase all the time. So there's works that doesn't have grace. It doesn't, it's doing without being. But then at the same time, I think we know tons of people, including myself, that use grace as a couch. And we're just chilling. Like, like, and we need to read a little James where James is like, listen, the language of, of grace has faith and works to it. Like there's no such thing. A Christian that doesn't work is an oxymoron. You know what I mean? Like in some ways that out of the overflow of the way that we love God, when, when Jesus tells Peter, like, do you love me more than these? And Peter replies, yes, three times. He says, then the application of that love is to feed sheep. And so, and so there, there certainly is ways, I think, and we talked about and wrestled with at lunch the other day, of ways that we, we have a gospel that doesn't have any works, that doesn't produce good fruit, that doesn't produce works. And that's, and that's no gospel at all, because the gospel says that his Holy Spirit is inside of me to continue his gospel narrative here in this time. And if I'm asleep at the wheel, and if I'm not engaged in um, the good works that he's already ordained for me to do as his poema, as a, workman, as, as a work in the Father's hands, then in some ways, I'm not fully activating the bank account that he's given me. I'm not fully activating the promises. So what do you think about that tension, and how do you wrestle with, um, as a dad, you know, and as, as, um, as a leader in the church, you know? How, how do you wrestle with, 
um, cultivating a salt and light culture, you know, that doesn't rely too heavily, so heavily on grace that it doesn't produce works or relies so heavily on works that it has no grace. What do you think about that? Uh, I, think, I think it goes back to the neutral, right? The, the neutral ground. And, and, and once you start doing the good works and coming out of neutral and doing the good works, it becomes easier for you to do, you know, those good works. It's like we talked about, um, you know, Jesus, Jesus said, you, you might get to this, but Jesus said that, um, you know, you fed me mm. and you clothed me, right? And, and the, the question was, when did we ever do that for you, right? Mm. So, and we talked about this. It's like you're not, you're, you're doing it for, for the Lord, right? Mm. And we also, and you'll probably get to it, but we talked about, if you think about how is, how is the Lord going to give somebody food? Like, we know that the Lord will take care of somebody, right? Like, oh, mm. the Lord will provide for that person. But how is he going to do that? Yeah, you were saying right. that you've never seen a Subway sandwich just fall out of the sky. I, I haven't. Yeah, it stuck with me, yeah. It might. See, like a salami sandwich. Just, thank you, Lord. Yeah. I mean, we'll do Firehouse. I mean, if yeah, it's coming yeah. out of heaven, right? Yeah. It's coming out of heaven. It's got fire. Yeah, and so the math equation becomes, okay, does God care about that? that image bear? Does, that, does God desire to meet that need? Right. And then what do they need? And then it becomes, well, has that ever fallen out of the sky? <laughs> right. And then that becomes uh, employment. Right. <laughs> that becomes an activation. Or when you give a sandwich point. to a person, are you giving, it, are you giving that sandwich to the Lord? Because he literally said that you, you fed me and you clothed me, right? Yeah. But, but what we talked about this too is I don't know Lord's, the Lord's mailing address to mail him a sandwich. Yeah. We got hung up on sandwiches for some reason. <laughs> Easy to get hung up on. Yeah, yeah. But it was just, it was a great conversation. And, and the bottom line is, is each of us have to try to figure out in our own heart, like, where are we at? On the, are we on neutral? Mm. Are, we, are we okay with neutral? Mm. You know, I guess neutral works, right? Mm. Mm. You know, no one ever really did bad things if, as long as you're in neutral. Mm. But no one ever really did good things in neutral either. Mm. So, mm. Yeah, there's something, um, I'm going to say mystical, but something that is very supernatural for sure. The idea, as you noted before, that Jesus, uh, you know, meets disciples in heaven and the conversation, you know, becomes, when did, I, when did I feed you? When did I visit you in prison? And he says, the way you love people is in some part, supernaturally, the way you love me. And those two things are, the first and the second commandment are the two, the greatest commandment is to do, to love the Lord your God and to love people as yourself. And to love people is in a way a function of relationship with the Father. Um, and so I, I, I completely resonate with what you're saying. There are moments in time when you have recognized in a moment like this morning in worship or in times of prayer when you have been so caught up in his glory and majesty and you just wish that there was a way to somehow communicate that or to be a part of that or to express uh, all that that means to you. And I feel like the passage is saying, then go get a sandwich. <laughs> And that is the best way. That is the best way to typify, to exemplify, to communicate and translate, to become part of the gospel work is to love the one in front of you without strings, without agenda as a gospel work. Um, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we got to talk about is just get into kind of the anecdotals and, and the, the, the um, examples, I guess, of what gospel work has looked like. Um, and for you and Michelle, I know um, that has been something that's come up in the Deacon interviews and... Um, even hearing your heart and history as far as where the Lord has led you in, in your story. Um, but particularly, let's talk about, um, uh, I don't know, what was the name of the ministry that we were talking about earlier, if there was a name? And tell us a little bit about how you and Michelle have felt compelled to respond to Matthew 5 and 6 in your personal life. Yeah, okay. Did we have a name for our ministry? <laughs> let's come up with a name right now. Um, Bob's Sandwiches. The Sandwich Shop. Yeah. Um, so a little background on us is we, we, we're from St. Louis, go Cardinals. And um, in St. Louis, we, would, we started going into uh, hotels where people live. I don't know if, how many people know this, but there are hotels that people actually live in full-time, all the time. And, you know, you can find them down in Augusta Road, places like that. And so we started going in uh, with another person, right, uh, the, the guy. And... And we loved it, and we saw that there was such a need there. Uh, so what we would do is we would cook a home-cooked meal. We'd get people together. Uh, they'd cook a portion of the meal. We'd cook a portion of the meal. We had tables, and we would literally just go into these hotels and set up shop. Mm. 
and knock on doors and just tell people there's a, there's a meal for you. Mm-hmm. And people started just coming out and just eating because mm-hmm. it's like I told was it you I told about the one thing, no matter where you travel in the world, the one thing we all have in common is everybody eats. Oh, for sure. Right? We have mm-hmm. to eat. So uh, there's an immediate need in all these places. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's what we did. That's our background. And um, and uh, most uncomfortable thing you'll ever do, right? Like, like that's, I think that's one thing that stops us from, from doing good is the way it makes us feel. Mm. I mean, you really have to step out of your comfort zone to knock on a door of a person that you know when they open the door, they're probably going to be on crack or meth or, or whatever the case might be. You know, you don't even know what's on the other side of the door. Mm. So you definitely have to step out of your comfort zone, mm. and it makes it tough. What do you feel like you learned in that experience? Um, the one thing I learned is that we're all... We're all just a few bad decisions away from living in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And those people never stood up uh, on career day and said that they wanted to be a prostitute for a living, right? Mm-hmm. Or a crack dealer. So that's what I learned. Yeah, I learned that if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be the one living in this hotel. Uh, any particular story stand out to you in your time there um, that, you know, not because of, fe- of effect or anything necessarily, but maybe just emotionally connected with you most? Um, there's a lot of stories. Um, one of them here was, I, I didn't even know this, but I guess the South Carolina, uh, here? Hmm? Oh, yeah. In St. Louis, we, had, we met a guy who had a little baby, and he was trying to raise this little son. And he lived in a playpen in the, in the room. That's, I never saw the kid out of the playpen. In fact, his legs were starting to get bowed uh, from living in the playpen. And, and we offered to take the kid home and gave him a bath. And just really cool stuff like that, right? The water was really dirty, by the way. Mm. Um, but we got to just, just love on that kid mm. away from that environment. And um, another one here was, I didn't know this, but... Evidently, when you get out of jail, they say, here's your clothes back, and where do you want a bus ticket to, right? Mm. That's what you get. Mm. And we met a man um, that had just gotten out of prison that morning, and I might get parts of the story wrong, but the the gist of it is there. Mm. And because we were serving the meal, we were able to have a conversation with him. We didn't even have any clothes. Mm. So we were able to get him clothes, get him things he needed, and then when we went back the next week, he told us that he had gotten a job out of, t- out of his town, mm. but he had no way of getting to the job. And I don't remember this exactly, but I think we actually called the guy that was giving him the job and said, mm-hmm. does he have a job? And he said, yeah, if you get him here, I'll employ him. So we put him on a bus and sent him there. And the cool thing is we talked about this is, is the end game is not my concern, right? I don't know where that yeah. guy is. <clears throat> and it takes all the worry out of it. Mm. Like people you say, oh, they're taking advantage of you. Are they? I don't feel like I'm being taken advantage of. And if I am being taken advantage of, guess who repays? Mm-hmm. Right? So it's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah, you, sh- you shared a story at lunch uh, about um, one of the people that came to volunteer was really concerned that the guy didn't have a shirt on. Yeah. And um, yeah. I-, I thought your reflections on that were good. Do you mind recalling that? Right. And we talked about how you have your own motives when you go into places. And we were serving, and we would take other groups in and show them what we do so that they could continue to do it. Away, you know, on their own. And we were in there one time, and a guy that had literally never left his room for like a month all of a sudden showed up in the common area at the, at the, getting food. Yeah. Well, he didn't have a shirt on. And the pastor that I actually was, we took in there, said, are you going to make him put a shirt on? I said I wasn't really planning oh, on it. was the pastor that said that? Yeah, I, I think, notes I wasn't going to throw that part out. Make but sure yeah. I don't do that next time. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So it was the pastor of, of the church that was going to start feeding homeless people. Yeah. And he said, well, when I bring my group in here, I'm going to make that man put a shirt on. And, if, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I only want you coming back, right? Like, mm. like and, and because see, we're, 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 we were in his house, yeah. right? And we had another one, a lady that said, you're giving food to these people and they're smoking cigarettes? Like, okay. <laughs> so yeah. so, so there's, a, there's a motive, I think, that is not correct. Yeah. I think we talked about it. Yeah, the word comes to mind is control. I just think that ministry, like you can have ministry or control, but you can't have both. And 
I think one of the pieces is that you're going in, I, I feel like it doesn't matter really what kind of ministry it is. I think we all learn pretty quickly we're not in control of our lives, let alone ministry, right? And so then the question becomes like less of like, how do I run my six-point agenda and get what I want done? And it turns more into like, Holy Spirit, like what are you doing and how can I join you in what you're already doing? Because I have to assume that if the work is finished and I'm a poema that's created to activate the work that he's doing in, in the world, the emphasis there is he's doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it, you know what I mean? And I think what you're saying there, what stuck out to me is like, if I'm asking the guy to put a t-shirt on, it's probably because I think I'm doing it. And it helps us reorient. Is it a gospel work or just a benevolent good work, a kind deed, a random act of kindness? Those are two separate things. And, uh, and I, just I can tell you what story. the guy's answer would have been. Yeah. <laughs> He's, did, did he speak to you on it, Bob? Did he give you a dream? I know, I know if I would have said, hey, man, you need to put a shirt on, I know what would have been the next words out of that guy's mouth. I yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it wouldn't be, what must I do to be saved? That's for sure. That's right. <laughs> if I die tonight, where would I go? Um, yeah, what is the difference between gospel works and, and the gospel of works? Um, is it moving from love or is it moving for love? Is it trying to get something out of somebody? Is the touching taking? Is the gospel work primarily about saying, look at him, to somehow embody who he is and, and ask yourself, like asking ourselves, like, what would the gospel look like with skin on in 2020? What would the gospel look like with this cup of water? What would the gospel look like in this motel? And Holy Spirit, like, what are you already doing and how can I, how can I join you in it? And in that, there's just a, such a freedom from any kind of stress or, you know, um, metrics or, or wins or credit. It's a creditless environment where there's just free generosity that's given in Jesus' name. And I think, like you said, there's just such a joy that comes with the smile of the Father in that place that there is a wonderful experience of, of being able to put words and, and an expression to the relationship that we have with the one that loves us so much. Um, so I had a couple of intentional questions. Um, but before I, I, I do that, um, I just thought that this, this poem, maybe you've heard it before, but Mother Teresa's poem anyway, um, I think is a really great way to capture maybe some of the thoughts. And that's because we talked about her, right? We did, yeah. Yeah, there was a guy that, um, it was the principal of a, of a Christian school that we wanted to send our kids to. And we went to see him, and he had a picture of Mother Teresa on the wall. And, of course, being you know, young Christians, we're like, she's Catholic. She ain't saved, you know? Right. And, um, <laughs> and I said, why do you have a picture of Mother Teresa on your wall? And he said, dude, he said, if that woman wasn't born again and yeah. saved, he said, none of us have a chance. We're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Amen. So um, Mother Teresa's poem says, people are often unreasonable. Do you know anybody like that? Illogical and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. It's like good works, like they're non-conditional. They're anti, they're counter-conditional, actually. Good works if they're done in the gospel. If you are kind, sometimes they'll accuse you of having false pretenses, of being selfish, of having ulterior motives. But be kind anyways, she says. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and maybe a few true enemies, but succeed anyways. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you, but be honest and frank anyways. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. I think we feel that, don't we? Mm -hmm. Like we feel like maybe we're going to get taken advantage of. We feel like we're going to pour our lives into the kids and it's never going to make a difference. We're going to cross the street a hundred times to that neighbor. And, and that's why neutral makes sense. Yeah, safer. It just does. Clean. But she's just saying, maybe there's another way. Maybe the gospel calls us into something more. Even if you know it gets destroyed, build it anyways. It's all rewarded. He wastes nothing. And, and if you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous, but be happy anyways. Uh, the good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. That's another one, forgetting. But do good anyways. Give the world the best you have. It may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyways. You see in the final analysis, it is between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyways. Ain't that the truth? So um, an intentional question to process, and I'll see if you have a final thought. But um, what is the gospel work you are called to? So we've been talking about gospel words, and that is the theology of what it means that Jesus came and saved and died and raised again. And then we talked about gospel ways, like 
just in the way that we do our daily bread and our living and our hobbying, like we should look different and think different and sound different. But work, work, work would necessarily mean I'd have to go out of my way. And that's where the risk is involved. That's where the messiness is involved. And so it's not just gospel words or ways. Otherwise, we wouldn't be a city on a hill. We'd be a city in a church building on Sweetbriar Road. But we're a city on a hill to be nosy, to get involved, to get dirty, to get messy. And that would require effort. And the gospel is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. The gospel requires sweat. If music requires hard work and being a lawyer requires hard work and being a good teacher requires hard work, it certainly requires work to be salt and light in this place, particularly if it, it means encountering you know, self-centered or forgetful or rude people. And so what is the work we're called to do? We'd have to know what it was and focus on and identify and have clear ideas. If CarMax has a clear idea of what it's going to do in its vision, we should. Just because we're not a corporation doesn't mean you don't need a vision. And we need to have a vision that's dying to success daily. What is the vision? Because if you don't have a plan, it won't get done. So in smart and, and specific ways, what is the gospel work you're called to do to give your life away? Let's get working. Let's get working. The best way I suppose to do it is by practice. And so three P words, right, to, to, to ask yourself, um, and maybe even your small group, or maybe our church. Number one, um, Salt and light uh, can influence um, our neighbors and the nations through places that God, he's the one that gives us influence in the first place. And a lot of times the ways that we can recognize where we have authority and where we have a voice is where we are most passionate. So the first question has to do with passion. Maybe you are passionate about basketball. Maybe you're passionate about music. Maybe you're passionate about um, uh, poetry or, or building stuff. There's work there, and there's gospel work to be extended. So the question of intentionality becomes like, that's the place the Lord and the, fa- like the Father has given me influence, and how can I steward that influence? Well, how do I not think I need to be Mother Teresa or wish I was Billy Graham or wish I was this kind of a preacher or pastor? How can I take what I'm passionate about and leverage it for a salt and light mission? Number two, I have things that others don't have, and it's not just capital. It's not just money. It's like I have relationships. I have health. I have the ability to have a language. I'm bilingual. Like, are you aware of what makes you different? That is part of the handiwork story, the poema that God is doing in your life to do a good work. And so necessarily, if I am a, if I'm God's workmanship to do good works, then the way that he's formed me and framed me and my makeup and my, my possessions bear implications on the work that I do. So what are my passions? What are my possessions? And then And then furthermore, there probably are a few conversations that you've thought of right now of problems around you that everyone else is crossing the street on, that everyone else is avoiding and swerving because it's just messier and it's not easy to get involved. But if we're here to do good works, that others might glorify our Father in heaven, if that is the language that translates the gospel to a deaf and blind world, then we ought to get messy doing the work and engaging the problems and running towards things rather than away. If we're a city on a hill, not just a city in a church in a box, then we should engage the problems, not run away from them, because those are the platforms for the gospel to make its most vibrant um, immersion. So what are the passions? What are the possessions? What are the problems? What is the gospel work that you're called to? Final thoughts, Mr. Bob? Uh, I would say don't overthink it. That's for sure. Um, And don't, I guess, be gentle as doves and wise as foxes, right? Serpents, yeah. Like, or whatever whatever that is. Um, (laughs) The animals. Yeah, I... Well, you, you read a different transit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that was the message version. <laughs> yeah, mine's the, the good news or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, like I talked about, hey, if I get taken advantage of, you know, so be it. But, uh, but there's also ways that we've worked out that we, you know, there's ways of doing what we do. Like, we don't just hand a drug addict a $10 bill and be like, well, so be it. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, 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 if they say they're hungry, then... You know, we'll go get you something to eat with the ten dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So, so be smart about what you're doing, you know. Yeah. And the other thing is, is I always wish I could do this for ten thousand people, right? Like, yeah. like that's the mission. Is I, I need to be able to do this for ten thousand people. We were just watching a Zac Efron docu series, which I recommend. But he's a good looking character. Yeah, he is. Good looking fella, kind of like you. <laughs> go ahead. I swerved your point. Go ahead. <laughs> Except for his beard's not gray, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was a guy in Puerto Rico that went down there and served like 100,000 meals a day after the hurricane. I'm like, man, that's awesome. But, you know, what it is, what it really boils down to is do for the one mm-hmm. what you wish you could do for the masses. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And people don't 
care how much you know, you know until they know how much you care. That's so good. Right? That's, yeah. that's, that's it. How about a hand for Mr. Bob and his dear wife, Michelle? So thank you. My better half. Um, and uh, let me pray first and close. I invite Timothy to, to come up in worship as, as we respond. Um, would you move mightily in us? Um, may this be more than a sermon. And like, as we just get going here at Sweetbriar, Lord, and, and transition, may this place be a place of mission, to be a place of salt and light, uh, that it would not be about us, but it would be about you. Um, and so I just sense that even right now, your words, um, your spirit, um, they have a power uh, that transform us, they change us. And um, I just sense that you're just activating um, a couple cold water gospel mission um, ideas in, in the hearts and minds of the people that are gathered in this room, the people that are gathered online. And so we ask that your kingdom would come. It wouldn't be, um, no task would be too small or too low um, because you went first and you, you served the least and the last you went lowest and so um, and so God as you call us that we would say yes to you and that we would recognize just the spiritual and supernatural implications of um, gospel work in our lives may we not be tired or bored or apathetic but God that you would stir us up awaken us to your gospel work around us may we lose our lives in doing this kind of stuff may we lose our lives um, and find it um, in the gospel as you've called us to follow you in making disciples of all people. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.